broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Intermountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. How active can we be in free agency? I, I think we're going to be active. The question is at what level? You know, we've been active players on day one and day two in the last couple of years. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of depth in the free agency market this particular year. I think there are going to be more veterans out there on the market, and I think uh, it's incumbent upon us to be patient. Uh, would we take a shot at a high-level high player, too? Sure, if, if we believed in the person and, and had the money available. But right now, I don't even know how much money we will or won't have available. That jigsaw puzzle is still taking place. But one way or another, I think we'll be active in free agency. I don't know if it'll be day one or week one or month one. But at some point, I would expect us to try to fill some holes in free agency. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. And that was Mike Mayock, the Raiders general manager, speaking today to the media from the Raiders uh, practice facility here in Henderson. I am in that building right now, broadcasting live. Raider Nation Radio, 9.20 a.m. on a Wednesday. Uh, and I think Mike is, is spot on in terms of um, there's going to be depth in this free agency class. Uh, and why I say that is, first of all, you just look at the list of the pending free agents that we know of, the pending unrestricted free agents. Uh, that means players whose contracts are about to run out come March 16th, I guess it would be, or March 17th, whenever the new league year starts, um, their contracts are literally have literally run out and they are free agents. We can see that coming. We can look at those players whose contracts are set to expire uh, March 17th and get a visual of who may or may not be out there because some of those players will be subject to uh, things like the franchise tag, uh, which keeps them uh, in their current location for at least one more year, or uh, those players coming to terms on a new long-term contract uh, with their current teams. But you can at least look at, okay, these are the str- the possibilities um, and, and, and create a picture and a vision of who may or may not be out there uh, in the free agent market just by looking at that list of the players whose contracts literally run out on March 17th as we sit here today, March 17th as we sit here today. But there is a whole other group of players right now, guys like Trent Brown, you know, guys like Gabe Jackson, guys like Terrell Williams, who is already released by the Raiders, uh, and it looks like he's going to sign with the Detroit Lions uh, and, and and go to the Lions. It looked like um, a contract uh, that could reach six-point-something million dollars. So, um, you know, Terrell Williams was slated to make about $11.5 million with the Raiders. He got released in a cost-cutting move. Uh, he is landing on his feet, it looks like, in Detroit for about – about half the money than he was scheduled to make uh, this year. There's a bunch of players like Terrell Williams, like Gabe Jackson, um, perhaps LaMarcus Joyner, perhaps Trent Brown. Uh, You can multiply that by a whole bunch, and you'll get a whole other group of players that are about ready to hit the open market. And when Mike Mayock talks about depth, there's already depth. uh, You know, when you look at the, 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 the list of players who are slated uh, to be free agents or whose contracts we can visually see is a, are about to run out on March 17th. That 
there's depth there. Trust me. Uh, when you look at a John Johnson and a Marcus May and um, a Marcus Williams at safety, on Yannick Ngagwe, uh, perhaps Dalvin Tomlinson and Leonard Williams, the defensive tackles, uh, Bud Dupree, uh, the the, the uh, edge rusher. Uh, there's a lot of guys that you can look at on that list of pending free agents uh, and see some some pretty good depth at a lot of different positions and specifically positions of needs for the Raiders, whether you're talking about the interior or the defensive line, uh, pass rushers, secondary help, specifically at free safety. So that's a list that we can look at, access, you know, go on any of the various sites and you can see guys that are about ready to hit free agency if they don't come to terms on new deals or get the franchise tag applied to them between now and March 17th. But when Mike Mayock talks about depth, uh, he's also referring to that other group of players that we can't yet see because we just don't know. There's a bunch of players, like I said, uh, of on various teams, just like Gabe Jackson, just like Trent Brown, that could hit the open market and probably will hit the open market here pretty darn soon. Uh, because with this salary cap going down, all you know, the veteran players like that are always susceptible um, uh, and vulnerable. You know, the, the, the guaranteed portion of their contracts have run out or uh, their production just may not match the, the, the price tag uh, that they're, that they're um, you know, uh, getting ready to incur uh, to, the, to the team that they're playing on. And, and hard decisions every single year uh, are made in terms of, hey, it's time to, to go ahead and, and, and walk away from this player uh, and we'll try to figure it out. Uh, but the money that he's going to save us in the salary cap is worth more to us right now than what the production was uh, on the field. And that's with the salary cap going up <laughs> every single year. Uh, it's going down this year for the first time in ages. Um, really, uh, the only time that it really that it did go down was during a work stoppage. I forgot year, I forget what exactly what year that was, but um, because of a work stoppage, um, you know, obviously revenue that that particular year went down. So the salary cap went down the following year. This year wasn't work stoppage. They got the season in. Unfortunately, there were a whole bunch of stadiums, including Allegiant here in Las Vegas, that sat empty during games. Uh, and as a result, people weren't buying tickets. All that got sent back to the people that buy them or were applied to uh, to this next coming season, uh, 2021 season. We'll see how many fans are, are even allowed this year. Um, concessions, parking, all those things when fans come to games and spend money uh, and, and are sitting in the seats. Uh, and buying tickets and buying food and buying beer and all that type of stuff wasn't available to NFL teams this year. And as a result, that salary cap is going down by a lot rather than going up. I think Mike uh, was talking, Mike Mack was talking today about, look at it this way. Two years ago, when you signed, let's say, Trent Brown, uh, when you signed Terrell Williams two seasons ago, uh, without any notion of COVID-19, uh, that wasn't on anybody's radar. There was no way anyone was thinking in 2019, that come 2020, we're going to play a full season without any fans uh, because of this crazy uh, pandemic, worldwide pandemic, that was about ready to hit. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody could anticipate that. It wasn't on anybody's radar. Uh, so when you're signing contracts in 2019 or signing players to new contracts in 2019, you're safely assuming that come 2021 in the third year of these contracts, if you sign them to four-year contracts or three-year contracts, uh, three-year contracts, uh, that that salary cap 
would have gone up by, let's say, 2019. Let's just say it's gone up by $10 million in each of the last three years. 2019 would have gone up from, let's say, 188 to 198 in 2020, right? Because uh, that's exactly what happened. It went up to $198 million in 2020. You're anticipating that it's going to go up by at least another $10 million in 2021, this year. So you're talking about um, 118 or, or, or $218 million uh, off of, or $208 million off of uh, the previous year. And then next year, the fourth year of Trent Brown's contract, the fourth year of Terrell Williams' contract, uh, it's going to go up another $10 million. So now you're talking about 20, you know, uh, $220 million or so. Uh, and that's on conservative estimates. The NBA prints – or the NFL – NBA too, but the NFL prints money. So there is every reason to think with new TV uh, deals being in place and being negotiated that it was actually going to go up by more <laughs> than $10 million. So you're in your head as a general manager, as a team across the league when you're negotiating those contracts in 2019 – you're safely assuming and projecting that come the third and fourth years of these contracts, the salary cap cap will have gone up um, as normal, and these aren't going to be issues. These contracts aren't going to be uh, as big an issue, I should say, uh, come those years because the salary cap is going to be moving up, not down. Well, the opposite happened. It did move down, and now a bunch of players like Trent Brown and Gabe Jackson are in – are just vulnerable right now. And over the next week or so, you're going to hear about a whole bunch of them hitting the open market. And that's where Mike Mayock is talking about patience. This year, more than any in free agency, patience is going to be such a key. Uh, Those first couple of days of free agency, typically, historically, and I expect the same is going to be the case this year, because by the way, there's some teams out there with a lot of money <laughs> under the salary cap. The New England Patriots are one of them. We'll see how they play that. Uh, but anyway, typically and historically, uh, those first couple of days of free agency are a frenzy. Um, you know, everyone typically has money to spend or at least some money to spend. Some teams have a whole bunch of money to spend. Some people have a moderate amount of money to spend. Uh, but everyone has needs. Everybody has goals. Everybody has objectives. Everybody has targets. Everybody has a budget. Uh, everybody has money to spend. And you want to try to fill as many holes as you can with as many elite players as possible. Uh, you know, of those players that are free agents, how many of them are elite and how many are you going to make a hard run at uh, in a way that, you're going to pay some money. <laughs> you're going to pay some big-time money for that player because that player could come in here and make a difference. So those first couple of days are usually reserved for that caliber of player, those elite players. I suspect that's going to be the case again this year. But the difference this year is it, even if you wait, if you play the long game uh, and just kind of sit back and let markets develop – you're not – with the depth that's going to be out there this year because so many players like Gabe Jackson uh, are going to be on the open market in addition to all the other free agents uh, that are set to hit free agency, you're going to be able to get some bargains um, later on just by waiting because the depth is going to be so so good. And do the Raiders – do that? Uh, do they play that waiting game in order to maximize the market um, rather than overreacting to the market? Now, me, if I'm you know John Gruden and I'm Mike Mayock, uh, I think I make a big run at a free safety. I think uh, I, I really think for this defense under Gus Bradley to to, um, to to better position itself or to best position itself, I think you really need to lock down 
that secondary. I know and I understand that getting pressure on the quarterback is huge um, in this defense specifically. Uh, we've talked about this before in Gus Bradley's defense. Uh, he typically likes to rely on four pass rushers. It can come in all kinds of different combinations. It's not just uh, you know two defensive ends and two defensive tackles in his 4-3. It's just a variety of different ways that you're utilizing four players to get to the quarterback. But the bottom line is he tries to keep it to four guys rather than blitzing a fifth or even a sixth. Uh, in order to now maximize what he could do on the back end when it comes to pass coverage. So, um, but in order to, in order to be successful in this defense, you have to be able to have four guys that you can count on play in and play out. Uh, to get after the quarterback. Obviously, it's not going to happen all the time. It's impossible for, for, for you to be a successful pass rush team every single play. But it can't be what it was last year for the Raiders where it was so um, spotty and so inconsistent that there were times where quarterbacks were just sitting back there, um, you know, going through their progressions and, and making easy throws because there wa- wasn't any uh, uh, pass rush. There wasn't sufficient pass rush. And the double-edged sword or the, the double whammy of that is in addition to allowing quarterbacks just to be able to sit back there and pick defenses apart, you're also expecting a young secondary to defend on the back end for long periods of time, longer periods of time, because a quarterback doesn't have to get rid of the ball uh, you know, faster when, the, when he's under siege. So uh, getting past rush, I'm not – obviously I'm not – saying anything. I'm not Vince Lombardi here by saying anything like this. We all know it. We all understand it. So, uh, But in, in this case, in Gus Bradley's defense, it's imperative that he gets pressure, consistent pressure, uh, from the four uh, players up front. And I do believe that the Raiders are going to address some of those needs, whether it's through the draft or free agency. But I think that they need to get an elite player at that free safety position. And I think that this is a year where an elite player is going to be available. We've talked uh, about many of the uh, you know those those free free safeties that are that are in uh, you know uh, about ready to hit free agency and um I think the Raiders are going to be have to be on at least one of those guys or a couple of those guys um and 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 take advantage of of what is a deep free safety market because I just think that that position is so important on this team in particular. We talked with Sam Gordon just a little while ago uh, from the Las Vegas Review Journal how young this defense was, how young this secondary was. And I know uh, fans don't want to hear that. I get it. I understand it. But ask Laker fans the growing pains of having to watch a collection of young players um, you know, uh, uh, trying to grow and prosper and mature and get it right together at the same time. It's almost impossible to do when you have that much youth in one team. It's so funny when you see like a young player that's drafted later in the draft, um, let's say uh, in the NBA, right? Uh, that goes to a solidified good team like the Golden State Warriors a couple of years ago, where a young player looks really good. Like, wow, where did this guy come from? And you know, uh, why did why is not kind of a player, you know, uh, doing his thing for at the time the Lakers who were in a rebuild mode? Well, it's it's a lot easier for a rookie to come in and not have the weight of the world on their shoulders and be able to defer and learn and play with Steph 
Curry, you know, and Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and all the veteran players that they had uh, in that situation. You're able to bring in a player or two, a young player, and just sort of implement them uh, into the operation without having to rely on them solely. Okay, so those players, it, the burden is so much less. Back in the day when the Lakers, like the Showtime era, when you were able to plug in a Byron Scott. Uh, to Magic Johnson and James Worthy and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, and Michael Cooper, you know it's it's a lot easier for guys like that to come in and do their thing uh, and be productive when they're not necessarily being relied on as the savior or anything like that. And 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 so especially when you have to do it collectively, like with a bunch of other young players. Um, it's just hard to do because they're all going through the same sort of growing pains together. They're all making the same typical mistakes together. Uh, they're all, um, you know, still trying to figure out how to be the best version of themselves, the best professional uh, athlete together. It's not like they're around a whole bunch of other veteran players that are that are kind of leading the way and you can follow. They, they have to get it done like right now together on a collective basis as a bunch of young players. And that's kind of how I looked like I looked at that secondary last year for the Raiders. It was like, oh man, I mean, it's just, there's too much youth, you know, and, and youth is great. Youth is wonderful. Youth is going to pay dividends. That youth, all those, that, the growing pains, learning experiences, all of that is actually going to pay dividends to the Raiders. It just wasn't going to happen overnight. There was a delayed reaction that was going to happen that inevitably happens. It's different when you put Trayvon Mullen opposite a veteran cornerback, uh, you know, uh, across from him and two veteran center, uh, safeties behind him and maybe a, uh, you know, a veteran slot corner, uh, to the right or left of him. Now all of a sudden, you know, he's a young guy, uh, without, uh, 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 surrounded by a bunch of veterans. That wasn't the case for the Raiders this year, uh, in their defense in general. You had first and second year players all over the place. Um, trying to figure out how to win, trying to figure out how to be professionals in the middle of a pandemic, by the way. Um, so that's why, to me, if I'm looking uh, at the Raiders situation, I think that a, a veteran free safety is is that would be number one on my list. Like like when I'm looking at, I don't think Justin Simmons is going to hit the open market. I think the Denver Broncos figured out with him. But Marcus Williams from the New Orleans Saints, Anthony Harris from the Minnesota Vikings, John Johnson uh, from the Rams, Marcus May, I think he probably stays with the New York Jets, uh, uh, Malik uh, Hooker from from Indianapolis, uh, Trey Boston is already out there uh, on the open market. Uh, these are players that can step in like right now and be an asset for the Raiders, not just as an upgrade to that free safety position, but as an asset, a complementary asset to the youth that's going to be around them. Uh, I think Raider Nation would feel a whole lot better if John Johnson was leading the back end of the Raiders' secondary uh, and uh, you know allowing Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett to play with a lot more confidence because you know and have confidence in that guy behind you. Uh, he's also getting you lined up uh, correctly. He's also communicating with you, um, you know, as the offense is getting lined up. Um, and, and then allowing Jonathan Abram to do his thing as as a, as, as more of a strong safety kind of uh, playmaker uh, closer to the line of scrimmage. It just solves a lot of problems and not just the problem of upgrading at free safety, that position in, in particular. Uh, it, it helps everybody else as well. If you can make a move 
that can have a ripple effect across your defense, I think that is the way to go. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. It's time to tackle the top headlines of the day. I got blasted. This is 3 and Out. Vinny, are you ready for 3 and Out? I am, and that is the voice of our producer, Devon Cotton, uh, and he has... uh, scoured the probably internet i'm assuming or 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 twitter i guess twitter is part of the internet anyway uh scoured um everywhere to find three pertinent noteworthy newsworthy talkative items um that have come across uh his eyeline his his desk let's put it that way um and and he wants to talk about him so devon what you got man I am so glad that you mentioned Twitter because ring, 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 Twitter is where the first one is coming from. Can you take a guess? Um, I, I, I'm, 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 I, I can't come up with anything. What do we got? All right. We've got former Raiders guard Jonathan Faciliano. Hope I'm saying that right. He tweeted out, I know he's happy. And this, and everybody's connecting the puzzles. What does he mean? I know he's happy. He's connecting that to the release of Gabe Jackson. And, you know, before I get into it, I've got to give you a little somber note. We argued about this on the break. I'm a little sad about this release as well. Not only because, oh, Gabe Jackson, the Raiders are releasing a good player just to, you know, save some cap. My Christmas present from the Raiders was a signed miniature helmet from Gabe Jackson. Now I think that the value is going to decrease. What do you think about that? You know, I mean, like, I don't know if I wanted to sell it, but I, I would... I wanted a Christmas present from a from a current player, and now he's gone, like, you know, in the next season. Well, um, you know, uh, welcome to uh, the sports, the the world of sports uh, memorabilia. Uh, I, I I'm not I don't operate in that world, but I would assume that the value just went up because, um, you know, uh, if he does get released, uh, he's not going to be signing necessarily Raider help. Well, I, I guess he might, you know, because uh, because Raider fans will still try to, um, when they see him, uh, get get helmets and things signed uh, by him. But, you know, he's not going to be officially doing it as a, as a Raider anymore. So I would think that uh, there's now a cap on the market for Gabe Jackson signed Raider helmets. So there you go. Uh, I think that it actually increases the value rather than decreases the value. All right, and the big man up in Buffalo, the former Raiders, saying that he thinks he's happy. Do you think that this breakup may have been coming like it was more predetermined than we may think? That once like the salary cap came out, the Raiders knew that this was going to be just one of the business decisions that they had to make. Do you think that Gabe Jackson knew that he was already on the chopping block? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, going all the way back to last year, uh, I can uh-huh, remember uh-huh. I can remember talking to uh, or asking Mike Mack and uh, we collectively as as the uh, Raider uh, media. Definitely asking him. I mean, his job wasn't his 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 spot wasn't secure this time last year uh, because again uh, he counted uh, as a large number against the salary cap, uh, and and we keep stressing this: players that get to that age, uh, playing under that type of a contract, um, and and especially once the guarantees run out of your contract, then you're 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 fair game at that point. Uh, as far as you're you're an easy target, uh, it's easy to find money under the cap. 
by walking away from a guy whose $9 million isn't guaranteed uh, for, for next year. So uh, this, is an, this has been an ongoing situation for Gabe Jackson. It just looks like it's finally come to a head. Is he happy? I mean, he's probably, you know, uh, happy that he's not having to deal with uncertainty. He can get out in the open market, try to, you know, uh, get a couple, a, a new contract that puts some guaranteed money in, in his pocket. So, uh, you know, that could be what, what um, the former Raider is talking about. I'm so happy he's on my team. It's a heavyweight belt, bro. That's a fight. Earlier today, Darren Waller was on Good Morning Football, and he was saying some things that I think all of Raider Nation wants to hear. Obviously, backing up Derek Carr, you know, um, giving some more, like, you know, adding some fuel to that, you know, like, hey, we're sticking behind Derek Carr. But he also said that, you know, that this team's got to make the playoffs next season. He's expecting to make the playoffs next season. So I know this is what we're going to be talking about all offseason, but just because Darren Waller was talking about it today, what moves, what do the Raiders need to do to make the playoffs next year? Or are you still in the camp? Are you still holding strong and steady with, hey, if a couple of breaks go right last in last year's season, you know, like I think you said that eight points that they would still be a playoff team. So, it's, but is there any drastic moves that you say, hey, they sure this up, they sure this up this offseason? This is a playoff team guarantee. Well, I think what happened last year and how close they, they they were in terms of you know uh, having teams being in good position to win three games that they ended up lo- losing in the last seconds uh, should be a, um, a a reference point, but not an end all be all. Uh, the reference point is. Um, I think the Raiders understand where they are in certain positions uh, on on one side of the ball. Obviously, if Trent Brown goes and Gabe Jackson goes, there there's there's some issues that they need to resolve on the offensive line, um, of course. But I think they also understand in the bigger picture what their main main issue was last year, and their main issue last year was defense. So. Uh, if you're talking about drastic moves, if you're talking about big big moves, I would suspect those big moves are going to come on the defensive side of the ball. Although, again, uh, if you if you don't have Gabe Jackson on the roster, if you don't have Chet Brown on the roster, you have to figure out a way uh, to fill those positions. Now, if you bring Richie Incognito back and you re-sign Denzel Good, there's your two guards. Uh, so you're going to be in good shape as far as the guard goes. Guards go. The right tackle, if Chet Brown goes. Uh, that's that's going to be uh, an issue. Uh, you know, there are tackles. There are. Uh, let me go through the uh, the tackle population um, for the uh, for, for free agency. Uh, Roderick, or, let's see, Taylor Moten from the Carolina Panthers. Trent, Million, Trent Williams from the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, Daryl Williams from Buffalo. Uh, I've seen his name um, associated with the Raiders. Uh, Kelvin Beecham from the Arizona Cardinals. Russell uh, Russell Okung from from the Carolina Panthers. Uh, Mike Reimers from the Kansas City Chiefs, who provided nice relief uh, for the Chiefs in injury situations. Jason Peters from the Philadelphia uh, Eagles. So. Um, you know, I don't think any of those guys are going to get, besides maybe the first couple, I don't think any of those other guys are going to get close to $14 million. Um, and even if they do, uh, they may offer more certainty than a Trent Williams. So you'll, you know, if they get, if they, if the writers do, uh, move on from, from Trent, uh, there are some options out there in free agency. Is it on the roster? Are the options on the roster? Uh, I don't know if Brandon Parker is ready to take over a full-time role. He's been given plenty of opportunities to do so and has not uh, been able to do so. So uh, I would think that if you move on from Trent Williams, you know, um, you're going to have to find that on the open market or in the, in the draft. And it is a good uh, draft class for, for tackles, but 
if you're asking big moves, major moves, I think I think we're all pretty clear that it's going to happen on the defensive side of the football. I'm so happy he's on my team. It's a heavyweight belt, bro. That's a fight. Obviously, I can't talk about anybody else's players, so I won't. I'll just talk about Derek, and I'm going to tell you the same thing I've told you guys the last couple of years, which is I think Derek Carr had his best year yet under John Gruden. Uh, I, I think he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and we couldn't be happier with him. And I tell you every year, I mean, we evaluate every position every year. I have no idea who, can, who, who might call me or who might not call me. So you have to do the evaluations both on your own players and every other player in the league. And you got to stack your boards and understand what league value is all around the league. And we do that. But if you're asking me about Derek, I mean, I think John and I would both stand shoulder to shoulder and pound the table for Derek Carr. All right, that was Mike Mayock's reaction to a question by the very talented, your teammate, and also a teammate here in the Lotus Broadcast Building, Ed Graney. You know, where Ed's asking him a little question. You know, he's trying, he's skirting the lines a little bit, trying to ask him about, you know, let's say a Russell Wilson or a Deshaun Watson. How close, how much, how active do you think, because this is speculating, it's a slow news day, so let's speculate away. How active do you think that Mike Mayock or how like how often, how few, how many calls do you think he was getting about Derek Carr this offseason? Oh, uh, he was definitely getting calls uh, uh, about Derek Carr. Uh, and by the way, uh, I'm, I'm like a, um, I love accents, you know, so I, I've always been like that. Uh, you know, I always try to figure out where are you from, man? Like, you know, you hear somebody from Alabama or somebody from Wisconsin or Chicago or New York or Boston, you know, you can hear the uh, the accent. And and so when I listen to Mike Mayock talk, uh, I love how he says Derek. It's like a it's like a D-E-R-U-K, Derek. It's Derek uh, to, you know, <laughs> it's D-E-R-E-K, right? Uh, but he puts that U in there, and he's from Philadelphia, so it stands to reason. So anyway, that's what, as I was hearing that, I kept hearing him uh, say that with that distinct Philadelphia accent that Mike Mayock has. Um, they did take calls uh, for, 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 for Derek Carr. Uh, Derek uh, Carr. Um, teams were are interested in him. Uh, he's <laughs> the guy played. He was a top ten NFL quarterback last year, uh, and he's on a favorable contract. Uh, he, he operated and oversaw an offense that scored the tenth most points in the NFL. Every team that was, you know, one through nine made the playoffs. The tenth didn't, and that was the Raiders because you know they couldn't stop anybody when it counted. Uh, otherwise, they would be in the playoffs, and he'd be a playoff caliber. He'd be a playoff quarterback. So uh, I think there's recognition around the league that a Derek Carr can 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 help you. Look, Derek Carr played better than Drew Brees last year. Derek Carr played better uh, than um, uh, Philip Rivers uh, did last year. Uh, Derek Carr statistically. Uh, I know he wasn't the runner, obviously, that Lamar Jackson is, but as a you know quarterback rating and all that type of stuff, he played better than Lamar, Lamar Jackson. I love Lamar Jackson, by the way. Um, the point being is you put you know quarterbacks that played to a lesser level than Derek Carr made the playoffs, which drives on the point that lesser players can benefit from being in better overall situations. Uh, so uh, I think that I think that um, you know teams recognize that about Derek Carr, and I'm sure they made calls. Uh, to Mike Mayock, and obviously Derek Carr is still here, and I don't think he's going anywhere. Now, saying that, it's important to remember and re important to remind ourselves, any team that's in the business of being the best version of themselves are always going to leave open the possibility of making a trade if it helps the team, if it improves a position, whatever position that might be. 
you know, uh, endorsing Derek Carr as the quarterback of the Raiders, but saying, however, <laughs> you know, does it need, does this need to be said? I don't know, but Mike Mayock says it. However, we're always going to evaluate every position uh, with the intent of getting better. And if an opportunity to get better, to get better presents itself at, at regardless of any position, at any position, we are going to look hard at it. And that leaves open the possibility as rare and as, um, you know, uh, it's probably not going to happen as it might be. If the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes had a major falling out and the and the Kansas City Chiefs called the Raiders about swapping quarterbacks, of course you're going to make that trade. You pro- If it's straight up, you're going to make the trade for Russell Wilson. You have to. Otherwise, you're being unreasonable. Otherwise, you're being unrealistic. And I think when Mike Mayock says that, uh, on one hand, he's saying we have full confidence in Derek Carr. We believe in Derek Carr. He's coming off his best year of his career. He's in, going into year four with John Gruden. Everything is setting up beautifully uh, for the Raiders and for Derek Carr and this offense, and we are happy about it. But I'm not going to say that I'm not going to take a call if something better came along. And why wouldn't you? Uh, you know, a- Every general manager should be thinking along those lines. And guess what, Devon? Every general manager is thinking along those lines. Not everyone's going to say it necessarily, uh, but I don't think there's any harm in saying that, in being honest, in being frank about your intentions of being the best possible version of yourself that you can possibly be, even if that means, oh, we could trade Derek Carr for Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, we're going to do that. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's not going to happen, first of all. Uh, quarterbacks that are better than Derek Carr, it, there's 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 not too many of those guys around right now that, and, and and even fewer, if any, that are actually available. So you have to put everything in context. The Raiders believe in Derek Carr, but the Raiders are honest enough about saying, hey, if something better came along, we're going to take a look at that, and that goes for every single position on the football field. And then once it doesn't work out, he's going to say that, hey. Pounding the table for Derek Carr. I love it. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, look, does it always sit well with Derek Carr? Does it always sit well, um, you know, with the people around him uh, that that's the position that the Raiders publicly take? Probably not. But what are you going to do? He's And here's the other part of it. Um, in spite of the fact that everybody nationally – Everybody outside of the Raiders building, let's put it that way, uh, pretty much assumed when John Gruden took over the Raiders in 2018, everybody assumed, well, there's, there goes Derek Carr. Not uh, um, out of disrespect to Derek Carr, but just the assumption that John Gruden was going to come in here and, and Derek Carr wasn't his guy. He wasn't here when Derek Carr was drafted. John Gruden has a history of bringing in his guy as the quarterback. That's exactly what John going to do. That was the perception. That was the narrative. That was the belief. Uh, that was the prediction by everybody, pretty much. And it's it's never changed since then. But, Demont, four years have come and gone. A whole bunch of drafts have happened. At least three, right? Three drafts have, have come and gone. Three free agency periods have come and gone. You mentioned calls that are coming into the Raiders uh, inquiring about um, uh, Derek Carr. We don't know how many, but let's just assume there have been uh, opportunities that... Oh, no, uh, we know there have been calls. We yeah, know. There you go. Um, so we know that there's been opportunities for the Raiders to trade him. Um, and, and in spite of all that talk, all those predictions, all that belief that... 
his days here were numbered, um, and and it was inevitable that that John Gruden was going to pull the plug and move on to his own guy. He's still here. Derek Carr is still here, and that's in spite of what's really been a purge of the roster, overall roster since John Gruden and Mike Mayock took took over. There's only a few guys, and it's probably going to get less now that you know Gabe Jackson looks to be uh, you know on his way uh, out of town. That's one less guy uh, from two, 2018 that's here. I think Rodney Hudson, Derek Carr, who else? <laughs> You know, I'm running out of names right now on players who were here in 2018 when John Gruden took over who are still here. Uh, There's not that many. But one guy is. And it was the very guy that everyone predicted would be the first guy out of town. And that's that's, um, Derek Carr. There's a reason for that. It's because they really like Derek Carr. And that was three and out. You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now back to your hosts, Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Wednesday. Uh, Darkness has enveloped Las Vegas as the sun goes down, setting in the west. I always like to look uh, to the west, uh, to my former home, California, because I can still see the sun uh, setting uh, about, uh, what, about Five hours away from my my, my former home uh, as it as it uh, starts setting uh, o- across the Pacific Ocean. Uh, we're a little bit east, obviously, of uh, California, so it's cool to look at the sun and see it setting over there to the west and think about uh, California. But we're here in Las Vegas. That's where the Raiders are now, uh, a longtime institution in California. Whether you're talking about the Bay Area or Los Angeles, now here in Las Vegas, uh, sitting in this beautiful new practice facility and just team facility. Facility headquarters, uh, if you will, of the Raiders here in uh, in, in West Henderson. Um, about 11 miles away is the beautiful Allegiant Stadium, which uh, we were talking to um, Alec Ingold yesterday, the Raiders fullback, about how much um, anticipation there is among the Raiders uh, for finally opening up the building, Allegiant Stadium, uh, the way it was intended to be opened up to, and that's to you know 65,000 screaming fans. Uh, game in and game out, and you know Mike Mayock had talked about that uh, as well today, just about um, you know the, the 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 level how how that kind of an environment can lift uh, a team, and we've seen I've seen it in New Orleans, I've seen it in Seattle, uh, I've seen it in Kansas City, where that home crowd plays such an important role, especially in key moments, uh, and I fully expect and suspect that Allegiant Stadium is going to be that kind of a home uh, for the Raiders. They've always had passionate fans, um, but I think just being in there and hearing and and understanding kind of the acoustics, um, you know, when the music is playing and when even sometimes the the, the fake noise uh, was piped in, uh, it was in such an enclosed area. And you know when you when you walk into that stadium as big as it is it's a, it's a very intimate setting like you're the fans are going to be right on top uh, of the action and uh, in a, in a in a wonderful way and because of the roof that sound is going to be enclosed and contained and it's really going to uh, provide uh, a lift 
I believe, for the Raiders. I think it's something that, now granted, the Raiders benefited from being able to go into Kansas City and playing in front of 10,000 fans, you know, rather than 70,000 fans. And you could talk about that in every stadium that they played in this year, some of which sat completely empty, much like Allegiant Stadium. Uh, and, and, and the positive effect that it had on their entire operation when they went on the road and didn't have to, um, you know, go to hand signals. They didn't have to go to silent counts. They didn't have to account uh, and, and, and game plan around a rowdy stadium. That's going to change, hopefully, uh, next year, not just for the Raiders, but for everybody else. I can't wait for that element uh, to be brought back uh, into it because I think it's an important uh, and, and impactful dynamic in professional sports and professional football. Um, so, yes, the Raiders definitely, as did everybody that went on the road this year, benefited from not having to deal with those type of elements. Um, but I, but I, I also believe it hurt them in key moments. Uh, you look at the record that the Raiders had. It was a losing record at Allegiant Stadium. And three of the losses that we've talked about time and time and time and time again um, were – you know, uh, late game situations at Allegiant Stadium uh, where they coughed up leads that, you know, had they been able to hold on to them, those are, those are three key wins. And I really believe that having fans in the stands could have changed those outcomes. I really believe that because I've seen it. I've seen the effect, and we all have really, uh, of, of what a home field advantage can have on the opposing team and for the home team as well in terms of lifting them up. We're going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Raider Dave in Denver wants to talk about the Raiders. How you doing, Raider Dave? I'm doing pretty good. I will go ahead and name that one player that's been on the team since Carr got there, and that would be Jalen Richard. But I wouldn't expect somebody that still bleeds blue and gold to really remember that. But just a little ribbing, you know. I know that uh, your heart still is a little bit in L.A. anyway. But we are so happy to have you with the uh, Las Vegas Review-Journal and doing the great work that you do, uh, scooping all the stories. Did uh, Mayock say anything today that surprised you? Uh, first of all, thank you very, very much, and and uh, Raider Dave, and and everybody, like everyone in Raider Nation, you're why I do this, um, you know, and and I feel like uh, I'm sort of the middleman between between Raider Nation and and the team, and I take that very, very seriously, and and I the best thing that I could do is give you guys accurate information and try to put it in perspective accurately, uh, and not lead you down the wrong path, and I try to do that. Uh, not always, I don't bet a thousand, <laughs> but but you know. quite honestly. You are just like most of Raider Nation. If when this stadium is open, there's going to be a treasure trove of people coming from all over Southern California to drive into Vegas. I mean, you have the heartbeat of the region for this team. Thank you very much. And I, I take that role uh, very, very seriously. I truly, truly uh, do. Um, as far as Mike Mack saying anything that surprised me, uh, not necessarily, although I think what he said about Trent Brown in terms of the jury still out is is telling, um, and you could read it two different ways. One, um, you know, I kind of interpreted as there's still a chance that Trent Brown uh, can can be back. All right, the jury's still out. That means a decision hasn't been made yet. Um, but it also drives home the fact that everything that we've been talking about, and I'm sure Raider Nation has been discussing and debating on social media, uh, all the fan pages out there. What do you do with Trent Brown? And it's a complex question. Uh, you would think 
that at some point, you know, you would think that by now the Raiders would have a definitive answer. Maybe they do, and and Mike, um, you know, just isn't ready to play that card. But I suspect that they have it. And this is a decision to me uh, that I believe. Now I, it could change tomorrow. Maybe there's a discussion that is 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 had with Trent Brown, and it doesn't go the way that both sides want. And you know, all of a sudden we're reading or hearing um, that Trent Brown is going to be cut. Uh, it hasn't gotten to that point yet, and I think that. Um, the Raiders are going to take every last second to make this decision. And it behooves them to do so because uh, the longer they wait, um, the more players hit the open market, the more holes might open up in certain teams, the more uh, the clearer picture other teams have about how much money they have to work under the salary cap, uh, areas that they're going to have to address and shore up. Uh, so by waiting, you might be able to – if you're prone to, to, to uh, saying – all right, Trent's played his last game for this organization. At least by waiting, you might be able to, you know, uh, create a, a market for him. Or even if you're like, eh, you know, we're, we're going to keep him, but we're going to wait to make that final ultimate decision and coming public with it, you're still – there's still the possibility that maybe somebody comes knocking on your door and, hey, we want your right tackle. We're willing to give up A, B, and C or whatever the case might be for it, and now you have a decision to make. But – Man, I think that uh, more than anything, him saying the jury's still out and not telling us one way or another, like usually I, I specifically asked that question in a way that there was no other real answer that he could pay, that, that he could make. My, my question was, is he going to be the right ta- – basically, is he going to be the right tackle in 2021? Uh, and that's a yes or no question. It turns out that, well, we haven't made that decision yet. And that's telling to me because if they have, he would have said so. He absolutely would have said, yeah, he's going to be our tackle uh, in 2021. And that's obviously newsworthy. But, but beyond that, the Raiders don't know. Uh, and we're a couple of weeks away from free agency. So there's still time to make that decision. Uh, and they obviously are closing in on a decision. But as we speak right now, um, I don't think they have come to a full conclusion on that. So keep an eye out at right tackle for the Las Vegas Raiders. It's still a little up in the air. The jury is still out. Uh, and there's a lot of people that are waiting uh, for an answer and to see where, what direction that's going to go in. Uh, thanks so much to all the callers today. Really appreciate it. Uh, and like I said, like I told Raider Dave, you're why we do this. Uh, there's no question about it, and we're honored to do it. Um, both in my role uh, covering the team for the Las Vegas Review Journal and here with Raider Nation Radio. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador. See you tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. Devon, thanks for everything you do, brother. I will talk to you guys tomorrow.